Wonderful. Well, let me add my welcome. My name is John T. Uh, and I'd love you to turn in the Bible to Colossians chapter 4. Colossians chapter 4. It's on page 1184. And we're simply going to look at two verses this afternoon from Colossians chapter 4. And uh, let, let me just f- fill in roughly what we're doing and explain the next few weeks. Um, this Sunday is a sort of a bit of a follow up to last Sunday. Uh, where we began to look at the idea of being salt and light in the world. I wanted us to look at that a little bit more, to dig dig into that a little bit more deeply. Then next Sunday, we're going to start an eight-week series in the book of Philemon, which is only a very little book. So we're going to go very slowly through the book of Philemon. So that's next week. If you want to get ahead, read Philemon. It'll only take you five minutes. And uh, begin to get your head into that. And we're going to really try and understand that little part of the Bible together. But for this afternoon, we're going to look at Colossians 4, verses 5 and 6. Let me read those, um, and then we'll try and unpack them together. So Colossians chapter 4, verse 5 says, Be wise in the way you act towards outsiders. Make the most of every opportunity. Let your conversation be always full of grace, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how to answer everyone. Um, I think one of the most terrifying ideas would be if this afternoon uh, Jesus himself were to walk in and sit down and to listen to my sermon. I think I'd find that quite intimidating. I mean, he can listen. He can hear, obviously, because he's God and he's listening. But if he was here in person, that would be quite intimidating. And one of the interesting things is that when Jesus was on earth, he listened to people preaching. Can you imagine that being your response? You know, I'm preaching today and Jesus is in the congregation. And a lot of the preaching he listened to made him really angry. Really angry. And in particular, there was one thing about the preaching he listened to which made him more angry than anything else. And that was, he he talked to the teachers of the law, the preachers of the day, and he said to them, you load people up with burdens and you do not lift one finger to help them carry them. In other words, the preaching that Jesus heard in his day was a preaching that just loaded rules and burdens that were crushing to people. And people were told, you ought to do this, and you ought to do this, and you have to do this. And it was like a crushing weight. And then they had nothing to help them. And I want to say this afternoon that my prayer and my desire is this afternoon we would this sermon would not anger Jesus. I'm going to say some stuff this afternoon that I think you will find crushing. If we rightly understand it, I think we will find a burden here that is so heavy. But I want to show you, and I promise that at the end of this sermon, I want to show you why it's not a burden that you can't carry. So please... As, as we do the first bit, I want, and, and you f- I want you to feel the weight. I want you to feel what a serious thing this is. But I, I want to show you that it's, that it's good news. So that's, that's what I want us to do. And um, I just want us to unpack these uh, verses with four assumptions that lie behind what Paul is saying. Okay? Four assumptions that Paul is clearly making. These are very, very obvious, and I just want us to unpack them. Together, Here's the first um, assumption. Paul assumes the existence of outsiders. Right? 
As he says, be wise in the way you act towards outsiders. That is clearly because Paul knows outsiders exist. Now, I wonder how you feel about that word outsider. I don't think it's a very nice word. I don't like feeling as though I'm an outsider. I like to be on the inside. And I think part of the problem is, I don't know if you've ever been anywhere where you're not allowed in. It feels a bit rubbish, doesn't it? You know, you turn up to Harrods and there's like a list of things that say you can't come in if you've got this, 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 ripped jeans, this, this, this. To keep people out. Now, when Paul talks about outsiders, he has a very different picture in mind. It's a very theological word. It's a very big, important word. It's not just a random, oh, the outsiders. It's, it's a deliberate word. And we need to understand what this word outsider means and the existence of outsiders to understand what Paul is saying in these verses. What is, it, what is an outsider? Well, according to the Bible, to be outside is bad news. To be inside is good. To be outside is bad. This is right from the start. This is all the way through the pages of the Bible. When God first created the human beings, they lived in the Garden of Eden with God. They lived inside. As soon as they rebelled against him, what happened? They were sent outside. Outside is always bad. It's the place of punishment. It's to be away from God. It's to be in a place where there's no hope outside. And the whole story of the Bible is how outsiders are brought back inside. That's the point of the Bible story. How is it that people who have sinned and who are dirty and unclean, how is it that they can come back inside and live with God? And so God chooses the nation of Israel or Zion, as we've been singing earlier. God chooses this nation and he says, you will be a special nation for me. You will be my people. You will be gathered to me. And he brings them into this land and they live with God and then they sin against him. And what happens? They get sent out, outside. I mean, this isn't, this isn't difficult to understand. But you see the pattern through the Bible again and again. And then Jesus comes into this world. And who is it that Jesus spends his time with? I love this. He spends his time with the outsiders. He spends his time with the people who are sinners. That is the people who are excluded away from God. He goes to them. And that is what makes this such a beautiful word, a beautiful concept not an ugly one. You see, Harrods, with their rules to keep the riffraff out, can't come in. They want to keep the riffraff out. You know, God's great desire is to bring the riffraff in. That's the gospel. That's what Jesus came to do. Jesus is the one who goes out to look, go out into the world. He leaves the place of insideness, the place of intimacy with his father in heaven, where Jesus and his father were the in crowd of the universe, right there, enjoying one another's presence and reveling in joy eternally. Jesus leaves it. He goes out from the father, sent out, out into the world to go and find outsiders and bring them in. 
And I want to say to us this afternoon, it's what it means to be a Christian. To be a Christian means to be someone who once was an outsider, but who Jesus has brought in. It's a beautiful thing. But you know, it cost them. When he died on the cross, do you know where the cross was? Not inside, not in Jerusalem. He was taken outside the city. He died as an outsider. You see, this is the gospel, right? He switched places with me. The outsider, me, becomes an insider. As the insider, Jesus becomes the outsider. Jesus takes my place. He dies shut out. So even as he dies on the cross and cries out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? He's saying, why am I an outsider? I'm forsaken. I'm abandoned. The door is slammed in my face. And as I bang on the door, there's no answer. He's been shut out. And he did it so that you, when you bang on the door, it's opened. And with a smile, God says, welcome home, my precious child. Come in. Come in. And the reality today in our world is that there are still millions and millions of people who are outside We don't say that to judging at nasty outsiders. We say, outside, people who Jesus loves, who wants to welcome them in. The very existence of outsiders should compel us, should move us. I guess it's not the picture of Harrods. It's more the picture of a lifeboat bobbing around in an ocean after... The Titanic has sunk and the lifeboat is bobbing about. And the existence of outsiders, people outside of the lifeboat, the fact that there are people still in the water compels you to do something. There are people outside and it should compel us. So the existence of outsiders is assumed by Paul And it may be this afternoon, let me stop and just say this as clearly as I can. It may be this afternoon you think, I think I'm an outsider. I think I I feel far from God. I, I know I've done wrong. I know I'm a sinner. I know I deserve punishment. I want to say to you this afternoon, Jesus died so that you could come in. Come back to God. Come into a relationship with God. Come to know him. It's one of the beautiful pictures of the gospel. You go from being an outsider to an insider. Why would you stay outside? And the Bible warns that there will be a day coming when the door will be shut and when there will be no more opportunity. Today is a day of of coming in, coming in, coming in. There will be a day when Jesus returns and there will be no more opportunity to come in. You need to come today. Come to Jesus. He's so magnificently beautiful. So Paul assumes the existence of outsiders. That should compel us. Secondly, he assumes that the church interacts with outsiders. So he says, be wise in the way you act towards outsiders. In other words, there are outsiders and the church is supposed to have some sort of an interaction with them. 
It isn't that the church is the inside and then there's the outsiders who we try and stay away from. No, the whole message of the gospel must compel us to go and interact with people. To go and to love people. To go and to get involved with people. To go and share our lives with people. And so who are the people that you interact with who currently are outside, who currently don't know Jesus? Who are the people? Maybe it is the people you work with. The people that you live with. The people that you spend time with. Who are they? We're supposed to Paul assumes we'll be interacting. And I think there is a danger sometimes that we can fill our lives with Christians and we can be so uncaring for the people who are lost. That's the second thing. Here comes the third one. This is where the burden, I think, really hits. So remember, don't feel crushed because there's something coming. (laughs) Here's the third thing. Time is a limited resource. Have a look at what Paul says. Be wise in the way you act towards outsiders. Make the most of every opportunity. That idea of making the most of something is something you say when when you have a limited amount of it, right? You don't have an endless supply of something. You've got to make the most of it. So if if you hire a hot tub for a weekend. <laughs> I don't know why you do that, but perhaps you do. If you hire a hot tub, you say, I'm gonna, I don't know why, I'm just going to hire a hot tub. for that. I fancy that. It's one of my little dreams in life. Uh, I'm going to hire this hot tub. I'm going to have it in my house just for the weekend. Then that weekend, you're not going to go out like all day Saturday, out for the evening, go out Sunday morning, because you've got, you've got to make the most of it. It's a limited time. If you have a hot tub permanently installed in your home, well, it's just there. You you can use whatever you want. It doesn't matter. You can use it for a little bit, but you you don't... It's all right. I'll use it now, but I can go out and I'll use it tomorrow. It's okay. (laughs) Is this illustration helping? (laughs) Right, what Paul says here, and it's interesting, he literally says, make the most of your time. You have a chunk of time. When he says make the most of every opportunity, he's not saying, oh, occasionally you'll get a little chance to say something of Jesus and make the most of it. It doesn't mean that. It literally means make the most of your time, the time that you have. You have a fixed chunk of time. It is not limitless. So make the most of it. Don't faff around and waste time. Go back to the lifeboat illustration. You know, you're sitting in the lifeboat, you're bobbing around. You know that there are people drowning. You know that there are outsiders who are not in the boat. They're outside the boat, outside the place of safety. It would be so weird, wouldn't it, if you just kind of took time to, you know, you you got someone on board and then you just chatted to them and you played a game of Scrabble and you you spent a load of time doing that. Actually, that would be really weird. There's an urgency. You only have a limited amount of time. There is an urgency. And for some of us, it is really painful because our family don't know Jesus. And I get that it's painful. I get that. But we've got to feel this. There is an urgency. There is a limited amount of time. 
Paul assumes that that's the case. And then the fourth assumption is that we are being watched by the outsiders. They're watching what we do. So what does it look like then to make the most of the time that we have? How do we do that? It's like, oh, I'm freaked out now. What do I have to do? Here's what you have to do. You have to be wise in the way you act. Watch how you walk. You walk wisely. You walk in a way which is, it has integrity. You walk in a way which is full of wisdom. You do what is right. You do your work in a way which is right. You work in a way that people see and you say, that's attractive. You live in a way that adorns the gospel. It, it matters how you live. It matters what people see of how you live. People are watching. It isn't enough just to say, well, I'll try and mention Jesus every now and again. No, people, want to see, people are looking at your life. We're to be an advert for Jesus. We are to show Jesus. People are watching the way you walk and they're watching the way you talk. Look at verse 6. That your conversation be always full of grace, seasoned with salt. The words that come out of your mouth, what are your words like? Are you known as someone who speaks words that are full of grace? Words that are kind, words that are patient, words that are gentle, words that are full of love, words that are full of compassion, words that put others first, that build others up, that doesn't tear people down. What are your words like? It's fascinating. One of the things we're explicitly told about Jesus and the way that Jesus lived his life, it says in Luke's gospel, they were amazed at the gracious words that came from his lips. They were just amazed at the way he spoke. This man doesn't speak like other people. And if we're those who've been rescued by Jesus, I wonder what our words are like. I wonder if people are amazed at the gracious words that come from our lips. Just think, tomorrow, what is the first thing you're going to say as you walk into the office tomorrow or into the classroom or whatever else you're going to be doing tomorrow? I was in B&Q on Thursday afternoon because our toilet broke and I decided to fix it. Such a bad mistake. But I went to B&Q to buy a little pipe thing. And I bought a pipe and it was too long. I had to take it back. And I just, I, I found it fascinating how irritated I was. And how my words were impatient with the guy behind the desk who was just trying to do his job. And how everybody around me was going, come on. And I was like, why are you going to open another till? What's wrong with you people? And then he was thinking, what am I doing? Why are my words like that? If he knew I was a Christian... You know, see that people watch how we speak. Let your words be full of grace. We haven't even got to talking about Jesus. This isn't make sure you try and mention Jesus in every comment. This is just speak in a way that's full of grace. Be someone who makes things taste better, makes the office a better place, makes the staff room a more fun place to be in, a nicer place. Every word you speak changes the world. Did you know that? Everything is changed by what you say, by how you choose to react. The Proverbs are brilliant on this. A kind word turns away wrath. A harsh word stirs up anger. 
When someone wrongs you, what you say, the next thing you say can make all the difference. Be wise in the way you act towards outsiders. Can I say that's your responsibility? As it, when it comes to evangelism, when it comes to rescuing people who are lost and outside, it starts with the way you walk and the way you talk. It starts with that. Because this is the assumption, as people watch you and as they see you live your life, they will ask you. They will ask you why you live like that. They'll say, why, why don't you act like everybody else? They'll want to know. They'll want to understand. And that's why it finishes in verse 6. Let your conversation be always full of grace, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how to answer everyone. You may feel completely inadequate to go and stand on the street and preach Jesus to the world walking by. You may feel completely inadequate. I'm not very good at starting conversations about Jesus. I find that really, really hard. Okay. Just try talking really kindly and graciously to people this week and praying that God would give you an opportunity. You could definitely do that. You could definitely do that. And praying with compassion that says, this person is outside the lifeboat that is Jesus. How can I speak in a way which opens a door by which I might be able to invite them? People are watching. At the church I was at before, there was a lady who became a Christian. Uh, terrific. Um, lo- lovely, lovely lady with, with kids. Really, really hard life. I'm not sure that she will probably ever be in a position to be able to clearly explain the gospel, you know, to sit down and read the Bible with someone. I don't think she'll ever be able to do that. But she can definitely say to her friends, Jesus has changed my life. Will he come and hear about him? For some of us, that's, that's our role. Our job is to walk and talk in a way that makes Jesus attractive. And then when people say, why are you like that? To say, because I followed Jesus. And they say, oh, tell me about it. You say, I can't. I don't know how to explain it. But I'd love, I'd love you to come and hear more. That may be all you feel you can do. That's what Paul says is your responsibility. And I think some of us feel crushed by the idea of evangelism because we think if we haven't asked someone to read Mark's gospel with us, then we failed. Rubbish. Your responsibility is to walk and talk in a way which makes Jesus attractive and then to answer people and to, and to do it intentionally and to do it carefully and to do it urgently, saying, I've only got a limited amount of time. How can I show Jesus in this situation? And then as people ask, you say, it was Jesus. It's Jesus who did this. And it may well be that you're in a position then to be able to say, I'd love to read about him with you. Or maybe you can't do that. You say, but I've got a friend who'd love to. Okay, so we've seen these four assumptions. There are outside of the church and is, is supposed to interact with them. Time is limited. We're being watched in the way we walk and the way we talk. How is this not a crushing burden? Well, it's because of where it comes in the letter of Colossians. I mean, let's face it. You don't have to know much about Colossians to see it's quite near the end. There's a lot of stuff that's gone before. A lot of stuff. And it all flows 
from everything that Paul has said. So let me just very quickly show you one thing, just to encourage you, right? Go back to the start of chapter 3. You say, I don't know if I can do this. I don't know if I can live this life. I don't know if I can cope with the burden of outsiders. I don't know. Look at this. Since then, you have been raised with Christ. Set your hearts on things above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things above, not on earthly things. For you died and your life is now hidden with Christ in God. You see, you were an outsider. You are now in Christ. You are now with God. You're an insider. When Christ who is your life appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. Here's this great hope. You've got to understand who you are. You do not have to do evangelism in order to be a Christian. You do not have to do this stuff in order for God to like you. You are already an insider. You are already one of God's people. And this flows from it. So my, uh, my favorite illustration of this is, um, is in The Lion King. <laughs> uh, just work with it. Uh, there's a scene where, if you know The Lion King, right, Simba is, um, Simba's dad, Mufasa, dies. Simba runs away, doesn't want to be the king. And then he has this kind of like, lives Hakuna Matata. And then um, he has this vision of his dad in the sky. And the, the, the Mufasa appears in the sky and goes, Simba, <coughs> Simba. And he says this. You have forgotten me and so forgotten who you are. You must go back and take your... Are you putting reverb on? Nice. That's good. You must go back and take your place in the circle of life. That's enough. Uh, okay. Here's, here's, the, here's the thing, right? Simba, you've forgotten who you are. You are living as if you're... You are the king, but you're not living like it. Simba, you've forgotten who you are. Go be who you are. Here's the message. This is why it's not crushing. This is who you are. You're loved by a king who gave his life for you. You've been welcomed inside. You are an insider with Christ. You are loved beyond your wildest dreams. You have an extraordinary future ahead of you. Be who you are. Live it. Let it out. And on those days when you feel like you've blown it, you go back to Jesus and you say, Jesus, I've blown it. Forgive me. Can we try again tomorrow? That's the Christian life. And bit by bit, he teaches you. And bit by bit, you take a little step forward. And this week, he's not asking you to go and be the next great Billy Graham who's going to lead billions of people to Christ. He's asking you, what could you do this week to just speak a little bit kinder? Just be a little bit more gracious. Because you want to win lost people, because you want to see outsiders rescued and brought in. I think this is achievable by God's grace. I think we can begin. So as we finish, I want to just ask you to think that through. We're going to sing a song in a minute, and I want you to think through what What could you do tomorrow morning that's just a little bit different? Be creative. Be deliberately different. Why don't we pray together? And then we're going to sing. Heavenly Father, we we recognize this afternoon that there is a 
painful reality that many in this world are outside. Many in this world are living away from you because they have turned away from you and live with their backs to you, just as we did. But Father, thank you for your grace that you sent your son out, out into the world, even to the place of utter outsideness. Oh, Father, please, we praise, we praise you for Jesus who brought us in. And Father, we long for our family. We long for our friends. We long for our work colleagues that they might come in, that they might be rescued. And Lord, would you even use us? Even this week, would we be wise in the way that we behave, in the words that we say. And Father, even this week, we pray that we might have an opportunity to say, I follow Jesus. I'm like this because of him. Give us courage. Give us this compassion. And thank you that this flows from who we already are in Christ. Amen.